You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this Made in America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say Made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! 
uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many, day, how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm, I'm out there. Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Houndsman XP, nation, world, globe. We're global. Heath. Yeah. We're global with Houndsman XP. Yeah. So I got Heath with me. He's riding shotgun on this one. And uh, this is an AMA Friday. And just kind of lay this out, folks. I mean, you got, you guys, if you want questions answered, this is a fun deal. And we got a, we got a couple, uh, we got one good fun question we're going to hit this month, but uh AMA Friday is about asking us all kinds of questions, you know, like, um, you know, anything you want. Why does Chris, why, why, why does Chris drive a Toyota and why is he still driving a Chevy truck? I mean, stuff like that. Because I'm smarter. No, that, no. Yes. Yeah. I'll be, t- be towing you <laughs> off the mountain again. Well, I'll, I'll fix it and keep on the trucking. Yep. 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 No, uh. You guys can ask us whatever, but we got some really good questions this month. We got one guest that's going to come in. He's going to step in and answer one of our questions and uh, stuff like that. But Heath, right now you're you're not even at home. You're actually enjoying some <laughs> some decent internet connection for a change. I am in Chesterfield, Virginia. I'm up here for the Vapwater Workshop. So yeah, my I've got five G on my phone. So it should be five C where I'm at. Five country. Cause you got country internet and I'm, I'm five, yeah. I'm five G now. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to high life. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I was showing you our new patch caps too, our leather patch caps. We just got mm-hmm. in, um, I'm going to have those on the road with me. Uh, well, when this podcast drops, I'll be on the road in Texas going to the American hunting terrier association trials down in uh tyler texas i'll have these hats with me so but uh what do you think of the new hats i, I like them I, I i mean i like the color um of course you're wearing a multi-cam which is you know what we wear when we're out on like high-risk deployments and stuff so i, I like it and i like the leather patch mm-hmm. um looks good i i searched all over looking for a very well done uh leather patch cap that i mean when it when it was finally on the hat i mean it popped and i went to, with western rider and got all richardson caps and uh when they put their stitching in and the way they they laser engrave these patches i mean they are sharp and we got multiple colors you know we've got uh, tan and brown and we've got black and gray and we've got we've got blaze orange because bear season is here and uh you can you're gonna be able to find all of those on dogs are treed by the time this drops so, nice uh and then yeah lw nixon's gonna carry some in his shop over at uh, cajun lights so oh, good. they'll be in his shop in in north carolina so they're gonna be out there and they're a good looking hat. can they get them off of our website 
Um, no, no, they can't. They can't go directly to our website and get them. They'll have to shop with LW. Find us somewhere in person. We might run some kind of deal off of our Facebook page where you can drop us a message. And uh, I don't know. I I don't know how to work that out. I don't know how to make that work. Maybe PayPal. I don't know what we're going to do yet. But uh, Dogs Are Treat and, and LW at, at Cajun Lights will definitely have a few. And uh, they'll they'll be able to get them from there for sure. Yeah, go on over to Dogs Are Treat and get you one of those tie-outs. Man, I, I've used mine this year, and I really – um, just the convenience of it. It's well built. Like I really like the product. I mean, I've made tieouts for years, but um, that one just works. And it, I mean, it rolls up. They give you a, a bag. You know, you buy a bag with it. Like I've I've really put mine to use this year. I'll, when anytime I go to an event and uh, people see me set a, setting that thing up, they got to be quick if they're going to watch because it only mm-hmm. takes like it takes less than five minutes to set it up uh but once i once i get set up or they see me setting it up man it draws a crowd at bear camp down in taswell this year uh there were five guys that were standing around saying hey are you setting up that dogs are treed tie out and i said yeah and they said man we want to see you set that mm-hmm. up and but the, by the time by the time they were you know it, three minutes it was mm-hmm. done out of the bag set up and i was hooking dogs to yeah, it so they're nice it is slick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best. One of the best. Best pieces of gear that I've got in the truck for sure. Yeah. Well, hey man, let's dive into some of these questions, and uh, I think we'll just start with uh, we'll we'll just start with a question here, and uh, see where we're see where we're at on it. Uh, let me pull it up. I had I was trying to get. See, I'm technologically challenged here. I was trying to get everything set up so I wouldn't be digging. Well, that goes along with driving a Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? Hey, here's here's the truth of it, man. I tried to love my Chevy. I had a nice Chevy truck. I went out and and had a 2017 Silverado Z71. I mean, that thing was tricked out. It was it was a beautiful truck. I wanted to love that thing so bad. It was comfortable to ride in. Wheel bearings went out of it while I'm in Montana. Yep. That was the first. In a that was the first thing. I mean, I, oh yeah, yeah. Wheel bearings went out. Had to have them replaced. And I mean, this truck. This truck was. The, it was hooked up to the app on my phone. I could be sitting in the cabin, and and start it via Bluetooth out in the driveway and let that dude warm up. I mean, I loved it. It was an awesome truck. So the wheel bearings go out of it. That was the first thing. And then, um, um, so I got that fixed and then the, uh, when I was pulling back from Montana, 70 miles from home, every light on the dash comes on, you know, like the freaking space shuttle was failing and, um, pull over, get, get off the side of the road, look in my owner's manual, what's going on. Can't find anything. Call the Chevy dealer. They're like, man, we think your torque converter came apart in it in the in the transmission can you get it here well i limped it off the, to the next exit took it in there and of course i was that smart guy you know when i when at a hundred thousand miles you know i didn't answer the phone calls about extending my warranty <laughs> so the, it was out of warranty yeah yeah and uh uh so here i am six thousand dollars out of pocket getting it fixed at a chevy dealership 
have to call my brother, haul all my stuff. I mean, I've been on the road for two and a half months. Took loaded all my stuff in his Toyota Tundra. Pulled my pulled my side by side all my dog box. Everything went home in his Tundra. All my dogs, everything. We're riding in style now in his Tundra. Get it home. Go back uh, three days later to pick my truck up. Now I got to say the service at the Chevy dealership was awesome. I mean, that from the time I got that truck there to going back and getting it was three days. I mean, that was amazing. Mm. I couldn't couldn't ask for better service. Get back over there, pick it up. Wife and I are driving back home. She's she's driving her vehicle. I'm driving that. We stop for supper in Louisville, and I go out and get in the truck, turn the key, boom, nothing happens. And I thought, daggone, starter went out of this thing. And I get under it. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, okay, I got, you know, one shot. I'll put her in the driver's seat. She turned the key. I'm going to hit this thing with a hammer. Hopefully, boom, you know, that's an old Chevy trick. Hit it with a hammer. You can knock that starter loose, get the starter going. You can't get to the starter. There's so many guards and the way they where they had the starter and everything on that. I could not get a, a hammer to to tap on that starter while she was turning the key. So we call the old the old OnStar, and it took them five and a half hours to get a tow truck to me to get us towed back to the Chevy dealership for a new starter. And on the way home, I was so mad. I was like, when I get home, that sucker, I'm selling it, and I bought a 2007 tundra that i didn't feel bad about beating the mirrors off of and i've loved it it's been the most awesome truck i've ever had you shouldn't have had a problem out of a 27 2017 like that i mean that's crazy you got a lemon hey i look i re i researched it and gm has a major problem with those torque converters in those half ton chevys hmm. and the seven six, 15 2015 on mm -hmm. And I filed a I filed a thing, you know, if there's ever a class action suit to recoup money, my name's on the list for it. So with the national whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So but man, I wanted I've I've had GMCs. I've had I've had several GMC trucks. I've had Chevy trucks. I've had all that stuff. And uh, man, I at the more research I did about the new model Chevys, then I was just like, Nope, I'm done. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that. Wow. Yeah, it's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate because I I really am a you know red, white, and blue Chevy tough Chevy you know made in America type guy. But yeah, yep, yep. Anyway, hey, let's jump into this thing. I'll tell you the first thing that I really like about my my uh, Tundra is that great big console because Tough can ride right there beside me on that console. And uh, I snapped a picture, the cover photo that you see. Um, for an AMA that we post on Facebook is tough sitting beside me in my truck. And, and David beach wants to know how did you get your dog to make the same face you're making? Y'all are twinning, <laughs> twinning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's, it's one of those things that I don't know. They always say that you're, you know, you end up looking a lot like your pets. Have you ever seen those side by side comparisons on the, on the internet, people that look like their pets. Your dog takes on your personality. <laughs> something, something. I don't know what it is, but uh, man, I'll tell you what. That little dude is so he can aggravate the pants off of you, but he's animated. He's fun, and uh, you know, it, 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 I just thought that was a great question, David. And I appreciate you writing it up to let us get this thing started. And um, 
Uh, yeah, it was just a great question. One of the best questions we've ever had on an AMA. Broke the camera while he was taking the picture. Yeah, Tuff's a lot more photogenic than I am, I can tell you that. <laughs> Definitely. To tell me that I look like him, I, that makes me feel pretty good. Yeah, maybe you're going to be a dog in your next life, or maybe he was in your previous life. Maybe. He maybe. Was a dog maybe. terrier. <laughs> you never know. Oh, man. All right. Um, let's skip that one. All right, we got a we got a question from Tom Johnson. Mm -hmm. The question is, and I'll just read it. It says, if you're unable to hunt with the hounds you're getting a pup from, how do you gather reliable information about the pup's parents? Because some folks aren't going to tell you the negative things about their hounds. Heath, I'll let you answer that. You, you start with that one. Well, for me, I, I'm, maybe I'm geared a little different. I you know, I want to know, and it's going to fall back to the question I think you skipped. You know, I want to know what the parents do, but I don't really care about the parents. I want to know what they produce is what I'm looking for. So for me, I'm probably going to start, you know, maybe hunting with some of its offspring, um, going and, you know, maybe you've got somebody that's close to you that um, can find out, Um so me, I'm more, I, I want to know more about what they're producing. Um, yes, I want to have a good solid um, male and female. You know, that's that's not a question um, for me. But I think if I was in your shoes, maybe I would probably start looking at what they're producing. Um, if they're breeding the same two dogs multiple times, you know, that would be another question, like, for me. Um, I'm a little leery on the second crosses i know some people have them work um, if you listen to bart and i talk on the journey um, when he talks about the breeding stuff um I mean, what episode was that what episode was that what Eve? number what was the name of it um what we call our, it, it was building on the journey. a better breeding program yeah building a better mm -hmm. breeding program that guy's an expert and you guys yes you guys talk and we you know we talked about you know that the second one is, is a hit or miss and they, they really don't do that because it's so unpredictable. It's unpredictable anyway, but you know, so, I mean, that's a couple questions I'll ask myself. Um, Chris, read that question again about what if the first part of it. Yeah. It says if you're unable to hunt with the hounds, you're getting a pup mm -hmm. from, how do you gather reliable mm -hmm. information about the pup's parents? Well, and again, I think, you know, go back and see if, see if there's somebody that's close to them that's hunting with the dog. Um, and like I said, you're ask your, yourself the question is, okay, so why, why is it that I want a pup from this? Is it because this, the male dog does a, B and C or the female is complimentary of, of him, um, or vice versa. And, you know, find out there's somebody that's hunting with the dog, somebody that's been with it. And, you know, I was told this saying a long time ago, and I still believe it. Believe nothing you hear and half what you see. Because even mm -hmm. if you go with a dog on a one-time thing, you're not probably seeing a real dog. I mean, you need to hunt with that dog multiple times, which puts me back to my original um, answer is try to see what they're producing. That's going to be the, that's going to be the, the tell me sign for me. Um, mm -hmm. So that's just my thoughts on it. Um, like I said, 
Uh, and I, I, I relate this back to Sackett Jr. You know, I had a dog directly out of him. Um, my close, close friend went up and bred, and Frank took them out and hunted with numerous dogs. And, you know, he told me, he's like, you know, Sackett didn't really impress me, but the 10 young dogs that we hunted after we turned him loose was what sold me on him. So that's, right. and I've always remembered that. That's been, well, that dog was born in uh, 97. So it's been that many years ago. So, man, he was, he was definitely one of the greats, you know, no doubt about it. Now, he was a great, dog. Great I mean, don't get me wrong. That's not, yeah. you know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, you know, after, after they went hunting with him and they started turning them young dogs loose, 12, 15, 16 months old. And it was just like, bam, bam, bam. He's like, that's well, for me. That's what I'm after. Yeah. 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 For, for me, I mean, it's, it's never been easier to get information and you got to be careful because you can get good information. You can get bad information than we can right now in this day and age. You know, if you go on, on any social media, I mean, this question was asked on social media and Tom, I've seen your name on several forums and stuff. So I know you're well connected. Um, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to go into, and I'm just going to use big country for an example, because, you know, he's got his own Facebook stuff. You could use crash. You could use, you know, more people are setting up kennel pages where they're posting and, and stuff results of pups. And you're going to find people through your network that, um, um, can answer the questions for you, you know, and, and can help, can help you understand, you know, what you're actually getting into. And, um, if, if you can't, then, and you're, you're shooting it from the hip here and you're shooting in the dark, you're always going to take a gamble. It's always a gamble. You know, when you go pick up an eight week old puppy, mm -hmm. um, they could be all the greatest things in the world and they, they may not be the same as what their parents were. That's right. And, um, so that's where I'm at. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ha call in the old network at that point. Either there's people, you know, personally, or, you know, really do some research on that. Um, cause I've, I've totally switched into new bloodlines. You know, you, you see the hype and, and you look and, and all of a sudden you're, you're interested. It's like, man, maybe I ought to try this. And, and sometimes when you start digging down into it, all you find is the hype. You never find, you never find the real deal out there. You can't find the people with the real deal. Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing is I've, I've also found that, that not everybody's standards, um, match, you know, what, what mine are or, or the way the dog was described, what, what may be a, some guy may bet have the best coon. He may advertise. I've got you know these are the best hounds I've ever hunted with. Well, maybe maybe he's never hunted with a good one. You know I don't know. So um, it's always a, it's always a shot in the dark. Yeah, man. I, I mean, again, I mean, you kind of said it. Is the risk ver is the ri risk worth the reward? I mean, are you paying a thousand dollars for a puppy? Are you paying two hundred dollars? You know, you can't raise yeah. you can't raise a litter of puppies. For less than a thousand, I mean, I'm telling you, I just did it. Six dogs, and I mean, I told you guys, I had twelve hundred dollars in six dogs, um, at a very young age. So you know, risk mm -hmm. versus reward. You know, if it's, it is what it is. But yeah, um, you know, ask around and ask multiple people. Don't take a word for. It. And again, it's hard to take people's word. Chris said it, but I like to look at the product more so 
than what's producing it. I'm, um, like I said, I, I've kind of rolled that way for many years now. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, is it something that I want? And, okay, if they're producing, if this is what they're producing, then, you know, I don't really care what they do, honestly, you know. Right. So that's just my thought process. Yeah. Well, that rolls into our next question. Mm. Is uh, Andrews? It is Andrew. It's Andrew Bailey's. And this is something that I've, I see a lot getting kicked around on social media about brood gyps versus, versus proven females. And that question gets asked a lot and people weigh in about their opinions on, on, uh, brood stock that's being bred. And, uh, I, I went to, I went to Jerry mall for the, to help us answer this question. I recorded a short session with him. Yep. And uh, Jerry has got uh, multiple dogs in the Hall of Fame. He was always known, Jerry was known way more for the females that he hunted than any stud dog that he ever hunted. He did a lot of winning with with Kiss and Jenny and and uh, his Ann female. And, and he's, I mean, even his pups out of his line, I don't know the last time that, that Jerry actually raised a litter of tree and walker pups at his house. But he had two pups that were in the quarterfinals for the PKC World Hunt last week. Nice. You know, so, yeah. So, um, you know, that's why I went to Jerry and and asked him this question. So, let's let him weigh in on it first, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss our, our opinions on this sort of stuff. So, here's Jerry. All right. So, I've got Jerry Mall with me, and uh, he's going to help me answer the do part of the answer on this question, but Jerry, you've been breeding tree and Walker coon hounds and salt Creek dogs for how many years now? Uh, how many generations you in? How many years? Well, the, 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 the dogs that I have now, uh, originated, uh, probably about 1984. So, um, pretty close to that. Yeah. Yeah, a couple, a, a few decades there. We're going on forty years of Salt Creek Coonhounds. That's kind of humbling to think about it. Yeah. Forty years. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. It in one way it doesn't seem that long ago, and another way, uh, it seems like uh, centuries ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the question is. The question is, uh, well, before we get there, I'll ask this question here in a second. I kind of want to set this up. You've got two dogs uh, that you just posted and going on to the finals, or what are they, in the quarterfinals for the PKC World Hunt, meaning they're double cast winners, silver champions. I mean, you've had multiple gold champions in PKC over the years. And so, you know, you may not look at yourself – like this, Jerry, but I do. I mean, I, I've always looked at you as a as a serious breeder of of Trim Walker Coonhounds and a, a knowledgeable, good breeder. You know, so um, that's that's how I wanted to set that up. But uh, here's the question. So the question was asked, and it seems to get bannered around a lot about brood bitches versus only breeding proven proven females. And, um, it, it, it gets kicked around a lot. So I just wanted to get your opinion on what you've done, what you've seen, what your experience is. Is there a difference? 
or does it make all the difference in the world? Well, the only thing I can give is my opinion, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying that most of the time when I give my opinion on this subject, uh, other people quickly say, but what about this dog, and what about that dog, and what about that dog? Uh, while it's absolutely true uh-huh. that there's are, there are some outstanding dogs out there that are out of females that are either unproven, in other words, never hunted, or they were hunted and they're, they're not up to par and they're substandard females. And, and they can uh-huh. and do produce outstanding dogs. My opinion has always been that if you breed a subpar female, uh, that sooner or later somebody is going to pay for that indiscretion that you've committed. And I, I believe somewhere down the road that whatever faults that, that this uh, substandard female has will come out again uh, later down the road in some fashion. And so that's why I've always believed that, that you should only breed uh, proven females. Obviously, there's the, there's the whole thing about uh, genotype and phenotype. And, and when, when you're looking at the outward expressions of, of what a female is made up of, you can't always guarantee that you're going to get out of that female what she looks and sounds and acts like. Because, you know, there's, there's hidden things mm-hmm. in the genes there. But at the same time, uh, in the world of dog breeding, that's, that's really the only thing you have to go on. Uh, we, we don't have any other tools to use. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's my belief if you breed that substandard female, there's, there's something wrong with the genes in there. And again, they'll, they'll pop up sooner or later. So what about that, what about that female that came from an outstanding litter? Yeah, or maybe it maybe it just a a good, solid litter, but she, due to circumstances, maybe she didn't get hunted. She didn't get the chance. You know, at that point, are you looking at the the uh, deficiencies she may have being genetic, or are they man made? Well, that's a good question. I I think you got to look at each female individually. Uh, I mean, even the, even the, uh, a female, for example, that hasn't been hunted, if, if you put at least some time in her to determine, uh, you know, her mouth or tracking ability or treeing ability, I mean, even if she's untrained, uh, you can get some determination uh, of those three things with, within a short amount of time. And if she shows deficient on any of those it, it should pop pop up quickly as well um and, and i my personal in my personal opinion so you, is i would stay away from breeding a female like that uh mm-hmm. the, the the all another so so you if you go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say the the interest go ahead. the interesting thing or another interesting thing about this question that always comes up, 
you know, breeding a good v- female versus an unproven or a substandard female. Uh, and never that same discussion, I've never heard it come up about a sire. Hey, would you breed a substandard sire? Well, well, no, I wouldn't. Why would you? <laughs> I, I don't. I guess I don't see the difference. But but the but it's so much of a different thing that you never hear that discussion even brought up. And and I, I guess I, well, very. I mean, any any stud dog, any stud dog owner will tell you that very rarely does the female get any of the credit or any of the blame for any of those pups that come out. That, you know, that's true. We, we overlook that. We see that in stud dog ads and, and, you know, just look at Facebook, you know, very rarely people list pups and it'll say out of so-and-so male dog, you know, this, this, and they won't even list the female that it came from. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, how often have you ever heard of a brood male? <laughs> I've known of some yep. <laughs> people don't talk about them though. <laughs> you know, they, they say, I've got a really outstanding female here and I'm going to breed her to this dog that is, is either unproven or substandard. Uh, but he, he's got a good pedigree. So I'm going to breed to him. That That's never going to happen. If mm. you've got an outstanding female, you look all over the country for the best male to breed her to. And, and I just really mm-hmm. don't ever understand why it doesn't work the other way around, but. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It sure does though. All right. So, but when you're breeding that, when you're breeding that female, you can't pass on, uh, you know, what, what she, her trainability. Well, I mean, her, her, how she has been trained, how she has, you know, developed. You're basically just breeding for the genetic traits and then looking at the, her performance as an indicator, whether or not you're going to breed that female. It's not one or the other, right? Right. right. And and you can, uh, you know, there's no direct science in it. I mean, just because it's an outstanding female or male for that matter, there's n- really no way to guarantee that that outstanding individual can can pass on any traits whatsoever uh, that right. that they show that they you know that show up in their performance. Uh, you, all, all you can guarantee is they'll only reproduce as their as their genes will allow, and we you know we don't have a mm-hmm. way to dig in to find out what that is. I mean, there's no DNA studies in depth in studies, uh, like they do in, in hogs and cattle, for example, to where, you know, they pretty well know what something's going to produce. Uh, and within coonhounds, we, you know, we just don't have that, that depth of study to find that out without just doing it. And, and that's, we're asking a lot more from a hound than we are for a, a beef cow or, a, a, you know, pork, a meat hog. You know, all they got to do is eat, eat a lot, eat often, and pack weight on, you know, and modify the, the fat versus, um, you know, protein, lean lean meats, 
that's a, that's a totally different thing. We're looking, you know, we are doing something that's so much more in depth. We're uh, breeding for personality traits, trainability, tracking ability, training ability, locating ability. I mean, we're asking a lot. I'd say even more than like a performance horse thoroughbred that runs around a track at the Kentucky Derby. Absolutely. And, and again, the, even though they ask uh, less of those animals, there's more in-depth study into their, yeah. their, their ability to pass on the genetic traits uh, because there's, you know, mm. there's a lot of money in, in those industries. And so, for example, that, you know, they, they flush, they flush the females of their eggs and then they do embryo transplants and all kind of other stuff, which we don't do. And, uh, and so there's a lot more, a lot more in-depth study there, but with coon hounds, yeah. as, you, well, think, as, yeah. as you know, in coon hounds, I mean, uh, you can breed two and I've experienced this many times. You breed two outstanding individuals together with high, high hopes, and you might get a, a substandard or so-so litter. <laughs> and and yet you may breed right. an, another pair that you think is going to be a good cross, and all of a sudden it's an outstanding cross. And the, the people that say they've yeah. got that part figured out, uh, I'd be a little scared of because I, I sure don't. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, to figure that all out, but I sure haven't been able to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this, you could almost put up and maybe we will do this sometime and, and go in depth on this thing. But, uh, for ask me anything Friday, I think we've answered the question there, Jerry. Um, it kind of goes back to what you've always said about hunting a good looking dog. There's no sense in, there's enough of them out there. There's no sense in hunting an ugly one. That's right. You know, uh, so your, your, your dogs are always a good looking, good looking specimens that can get it done. And I've always known you to, I don't, I've always known you to have good female hounds. I mean, that's what you mo mostly hunted and, and bred and things like that. So I appreciate you taking the time to help us out. Well, let me know if you want to have another discussion about brood sires. All right. That sounds good. All right. We'll do it, Jerry. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. So, um, yeah, Jerry, we got Jerry's answer on that. And, um, you know, Jerry was, of course he was heavy on, he likes proven stock, but what's your opinion? What's your opinion? Well, again, I think it goes back to the podcast we did with um, Bart Rogers from Auburn university, um, yes, I do want the, the male and the female to be able to run and tree the game that I'm after. Um, you know, I know we had talked maybe, I don't remember what, what podcast it was on. But we talked about coon dogs versus bear dogs, so on and so forth. Um, but yes, that your but chances are going to have a, a better, you're going to have better chances with dogs that, um, are doing the job you're asking them to do. And then if you, you go back to um, one of the first, maybe the first or second podcast I did with Ariel. She talks about the neuroscience and she talks about, you know, when you're hunting those females while they're pregnant, that it already puts some neurological information into those puppies um, and the puppies have a better chance 
um, mm-hmm. of, of, of being successful. Not all, you know, we got to put that disclaimer in there that not all of them. Um, and then it goes into how they're raised and how they're trained and opportunities. And, you know, we can go on down the list, many, many, many <laughs> lists. Um, but yes, um, with what Andrew's asking, yeah, you want to have dogs that are accomplished. But again, there's always a but. That doesn't mean that the pups are going to turn out. I have bred some very good dogs that I thought there was no way they would miss. And it was the biggest flop <laughs> I've ever done. That's well, what I mean, Jerry Chris, said. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they're like, there's no way. I mean, you heard me say it 30 years ago. Them pup, them, them dogs are two years old now. And I'm like, I just want to pull my hair out. I'm like, oh, I mean, that was looking at it now. I definitely do some things different. Um, but I didn't think it would miss. Like I'm thinking, you know, eight out of 10 pups are going to be yeah, like average or above average dogs. And I think, I think you did pull yeah. some hair out over that litter. Yeah. Look, yeah, look, looking mean, at looking at you you had more hair three years ago than you got now that's pulling my hair out from today working with those dogs like oh, what are you doing what are you doing um but yeah so i'm 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 with andrew i feel like that your chances are better if you want to be successful your your chances are better getting dogs from proven crosses now i do know some let, people let, that let, me, use, let me let me let me jump in, me in there, let me jump in, there. in. All right. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take the less popular position just for the sake of argument, because it's hard to argue with what you and Ariel talked about, about the neuroscience and, you know, why wouldn't you find there's enough, there's enough good females out there that, that you can find proven females out of that, that that can do the job and they don't have to be exceptional, but they need to be acceptable, you know, and, and, so when you're when you're breeding for a litter of puppies though I'm never going to capture the training uh that went into that dog in my puppy. I'm never going to, you know, how was she raised? Was she given every opportunity she could and and you know, she turned into a nice hound? Uh was she passed around because she fell in the wrong hands and, and the guy that got her got her where she can she can run in triacoon and be, be reliable doing it and it's like okay. And and so she's got the she's got this genetic all star pedigree behind her. She has shown that that she can do an acceptable job here. To me, I would rather breed to that female that is that is average with very good genetics than breed to the performance superstar that came from a line of that never really produced much of anything else you know of all the you go back and it's it's you know i never heard of the dogs you see a lot of you know or maybe you hunt them with them maybe uh, and there's some some lines that i've hunted with multiple lines that guys just keep hunting and um, i never really cared for them but that was that was my preference. It's not there was anything really wrong with them. It just wasn't my style. So when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, I'm breeding for the genetic makeup of that dog. I'm not necessarily breeding because what somebody trained that dog to be able to do. Um, and, and some of these, some of these dogs that, that are brewed, maybe they never got the chance. I mean, it's an argument worth making. If they came mm-hmm. from an outstanding litter, they came from an outstanding litter, and you know this female never, never really got a chance to show what she was. Then, 
I mean, can you really hold it against her? I read an article. Oh, it's been 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I don't remember the guy or the kennel, but it was a German short hair pointer guy from out in the Midwest. And he had this little female that nobody liked. She was undersized. She was put up really good, but nobody, nobody would have bred to her because of, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't remember what was going on, but she got bred accidentally and produced the best litter of puppies that he's ever had. So he continued to breed to her and she produced high quality litters. Um, my buddy up in New York had a female, a Walker female. She was a lipper bred female. And I don't care what you bred her to. You got three, two or three, four out of that litter that was above average and one or two that was superstars. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter what you bred her to. Mm-hmm. Bred her to, bred her to four, four or five, five different males. And, well, Jimmy, my old dog that, that this passed, that, that Jimmy was out of her. Uh, my sky female was out of her. They were half sisters, different dads. I mean, she produced. So I think you got to take what you're saying into context. I mean, um, it, it can be that it can happen. Like you're not saying we're not saying it can happen, but I think if you want to up your chances, you know, well, yeah. both of them. And, and again, the the female that we bred to, um, she ran a tree her own bear, no questions asked. So it wasn't like she she was a brood female. So maybe I'm getting a little off with that, but the, the, the article that I read about the GSP, um, yeah, that's pretty much what she ended up being. And they got numerous, I don't know the titles for the GSP and stuff, but she produced numerous dogs that placed in their, their trials and stuff. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of like what you said is give or take. I, I don't know. I mean, if we knew we'd all be millionaires on the genetics and how they fall in dogs. Well, you look, you look at the blue tick breed, uh, and I, I, I can't verify this. It's just going off of what everybody says. But if you look at uh, some of the Smoky River pedigrees, you'll see JB's Chief pop up a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, JB's mm-hmm. Chief is probably one of the and, – and I've always heard that he was a mediocre dog. You know, he, he wasn't he, – at best, he was a mediocre dog. And I can't verify that. Uh, I've never really talked to anybody that, that put a lot of hunting in with him, but Warren Hasslauer saw something in that dog or, and, and he, you know, he helped shape the blue tick breed. And I can tell you dogs in the mountain cur breed and the black and tan breed and all these dogs that, that, um, uh, they themselves weren't superstars, um, and probably not what a lot of us are dreaming of hunting, but they ended up producing pretty well, you know, reproducing pretty well. Well, if you so, listen to the podcast that Bart and I did, he talks about that. He talks about mm-hmm. those mediocre dogs were out, out. Um, what do you, what do you want? How do you say it? When they produce, they were out producing the top tier dogs. Mm-hmm. And he talked about that. And, yeah. The ones, the ones that were in performance, you know, they, mm-hmm. they were mediocre in performance but yeah. did, that's what I've always said, man. I would, I, I've just, I don't want the superstar that was the only superstar in three generations from a line of dogs and say, mm-hmm. well, I'm, you know, and that's what we get a lot of times when, when we 
see the new world champion pop up and everybody flocks to to go breed females man i want to know i want to know what the rest of his relatives yeah his, his, rest, did, his yeah, parents, parents yeah yeah i mean yeah you, you have to was this guy that. was it was this dog a fluke or where did he mm -hmm. come from you know I, that's just as important as as anything i'd, I'd much rather breed to a, an average dog um, a good good performing dog out of a good solid litter than breed to a, a a superstar out of a litter of duds well and again i'll leave it alone after this but that's exactly what bart says is you can take that superstar that has no backing and yeah. you may or may not ever get anything close to what he is right but you take that dog that's out of a a solid litter that's out of solid parents and your chances are twofold yeah yeah, and before I get a bunch of hate mail and and different things about about my my you know high breed dogs, I've never bred a female that wasn't a top producer or wasn't a top performer. I never have, at least in my opinion. You know, she was a top performer. She was above average, and uh, I think it's important. I think there is there are enough good dogs to choose from out there, and if if we're not established enough in our bloodlines in these hound breeds at this point that we can't find these top performing females, then, then, uh, we're doing a lot of things wrong. Well, so let's, I, think, let's, I think they're out there. Let's ask. And I, I've been one of the people that's bred dog to dog. I've done it. Um, mm -hmm. in my 20 some years, um, good dog to good dog. Is that what you're saying? No, I've bred bad dogs to good, to a good male or a good female to get pups. And, um, it, yeah, it's just, it, you know, learning why what did, I know why now. Did you why did you do it? Young, why did you young, do it then? Did, did, didn't know any better. No, I had nobody yeah. talking to me and telling me and giving me advice. I mean, on, you know, on that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I bred a couple females. I, well, I'll tell you one of them that I, that I bred, I bred her because what she was out of and she uh -huh. was, she junk, but I bred yeah. her because I, in my mind, you know, all right, well, she's out of these dogs that were good, so my chances are going to be better. And mm -hmm. maybe two out of the litter, and that was a lot of work to get them to where they needed to be. Yeah. Um, so I have done that a time or two. But the question is, um, and I'm going to roll this back at, at the audience, if we're asking the question is, you know, do you breed to good dogs or do you take, um, you know, a brood female – and not breed just backyard dog to backyard dog. The first question is why are we breeding backyard dog to backyard dog? Like I said, I've done it in the past. I mean, years ago, I haven't done it any time in the last 10, 12 years. Um, and I just told you an ex example of why I did it one time is because I was trying to get back into the, the Homer bloodline and she was out of that. So that was my thought process. Yeah. Um, but how do we get people to understand that there's enough dogs in the world that we don't need to be overpopulating them with these breedings <laughs> that are not going to turn yes. out. Yes. And how do you talk to your buddy or how do you tell because your friend? Because we get, we get emotionally attached to, oh, this is my female. And sometimes people are just blind to what they're leading around. You know, I've been guilty mm -hmm. of it before. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you like the dog and you know, like when I was young, it's like, ah, oh, you know, you, you feel like that's the next step you've, uh, you, you need to raise litter of pups or whatever, but I, the Europeans, we've talked about this numerous, numerous mm. time. 
they've got to pass. They've got to show that they can perform before they're ever before they're ever considered for breeding stock in the police dog world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and I mean, just like we did with the the Bavarian Hounds and Ken Parker. I mean, um, man, those guys they've got to they've got to meet a certain level of training and then pass a qualification test, or they don't they don't go. Simple as that. So. Yeah, and it was Chad just Chad Reynolds. Um, I mean, he just got back from that drought heart test, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not a competition where you're out there and I'm not taking anything away from competition, but that's a team sport. That's a team sport where the handler's got to do his part and the the dog's got to do his part. So you can make calls to make up compensate for weaknesses in your dog, but that was a true straight up pass fail. It's like. Okay, so here's our track. You got to follow the track. Here's your retrieve. You got to make the retrieve. And there's disqualifiers in there. UKC almost got this right. And I don't know why it didn't take off with with hound people when they were doing the HTX. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a pass fail. It was a it was a, um, a pass fail um, field test is what it was. Bird dog people have been doing it for years. Retriever people have been doing it year, for years. And that all came from Europe, where they do get eight out of ten pups in litters that perform mm-hmm. you know they and it's because they have a standard and they stick to it and they don't compromise yep yep well hopefully that'll answer that question i with jerry's input on it and like i said go back and listen to the the journey building a better breeding program with um bart full of good information um like i said he talks about a lot of the things we just talked about yeah yeah, all things considered, I know I took the the uh, uh, alternate view there, the opposing view on that. But man, there's so many there's so many good dogs out there. There really isn't any reason to be taking chances on uh, on the duds. But you do need to consider. There have been times when uh, you know those females with good genetic makeup ended up being ended up being superstar reproducers. It just happened, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. But man, that's that's those stories are few and far between, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think that leads us into the the next question. It, it's kind of funny. What's all the this, next one? This is kind this is of talking a, about the colon. Let's yeah. Kurt right. Babbitt asks a tough question that we don't talk enough about, and and so we've talked about a couple breeding things here, and. uh now we've got the pups on the ground, and Kurt Babbitt asked this question. He says, what methods do you use to cull, and at what age? And um, so I think we have to define uh, cull. I think, I, I think the widely accepted is, is euthanization when uh, you just see the question when it's, when it's framed like this. What methods do you all use to cull, and at what age? Um, Obviously, um, it's not well, just you. Define coal. Let's define yeah. coal. Let's put. Yeah. Let's lay that out there. All right. What's your definition of coal? Well, I mean, I think there's several different levels of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, if I call it from uh, my program, means I don't want it. It's not going to fit. It doesn't. It doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. That necessarily does not mean that we're going to euthanize the dog. Um, I've give several dogs away to deer hunters because the dogs wouldn't tree, but they'll run. I think Chris and I had that conversation. 
Um, I fixed the dog, so I paid one hundred fifty dollars out of my pocket to have them fixed, both of them. Well, you're covering um, you're too, covering too much ground. We're gonna have to make stuff up to keep going this fast. <laughs> well, all right, let's read the definition of call here. Okay, uh, it's a verb. It's select from a large quantity, obtain a variety of sources. Uh, it says select from a large quantity, obtain from a variety of sources. Um, antidotes called from Greek and Roman history. I don't even know what that means. Uh, this the noun part of it is a selective slaughter of wild animals, which that surprises me that it says that a selective slaughter of wild animals. So sure. I guess technically, if you're raising beef cattle, then then well, let's just take the wild part out of it, and you know you're 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 selecting your breeding for beef, so you're you're calling that out. I don't think that's right. I I I don't. I don't think this definition from Webster fits the uh, urban dictionary that, that we houndsmen use as call. You know, for me, it's it's taking them out of your out of the genetic pool. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the way I and and there's num- a number of ways you can do that. You know, I've had several dogs over the years, Heath, that um, maybe they were they were great. They they had, like you said, they could really scorch a track. I mean, they were top track dogs, but they just weren't going to suit me as a as a competition cooner coon hunter, as a tree dog. When those dogs tree, they got to stay treed. Um, and they found homes with with coyote hunters or deer hunters or things like mm-hmm. that. The papers didn't go with them, and and right. and you started to talk about it. You started to talk about it. What's, what do you feel your responsibility is before that dog leaves your place? Well, when it leaves my place and it doesn't suit me, it's, it's not, it's not going to be in the gene pool. So I have them spayed or neutered. Um, like I said, the mm-hmm. last couple that I've, and I give them away, most, most of those. Um, I, I mean, I spay and neuter them because they're, they're not what we're looking for. Now, does that mean that they don't pass on what they come out of? No, but I just, I don't, I don't want people doing the backyard breeding, <laughs> especially not with my name attached yeah. to it. So that's, that's the most important mm-hmm. thing to me is if it's got my name attached to it, then we're not putting it out there. They're not, you know, they're not going to, you know, sell it on my, my, end. oh, this come from him. And, you know, no, I'm giving you this dog. Oh, but, I'm tracking with you now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm giving you the dog, and yeah. you're not going to go breeding it to so and so because it come out of the line that that you're hunting or I'm hunting or whatever. So I just go ahead and go and spay and, spay and neuter them, and I've done the same thing that you say. I um, I give them to a deer. In fact, I give a couple to a deer, couple deer hunters, and um, I've give. I mean, I've let's go back to the coon hunting when I was coon hunting really hard. I mean, I'm like you. I had several dogs that were more of a pleasure style dog that kind of hunted with you and. They didn't get out of pocket. Yeah. Um, they'd tree their own coon and they, you know, they just weren't what I was looking for for competition side of it. So I would sell those dogs and I'd tell them straight up, Hey, this, this is more of a pleasure dog. He runs in trees. He does this, he does that, but it's not what I'm looking for. So, and I do usually you, sell you those like dogs. The, in fact. You, you sell them how? I've, I've, I saw, I have sold those intact. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I didn't yeah. spare new to those. Yeah. Do we have a responsibility uh, to to 
to make sure that they don't reproduce? I mean, if they don't pass our standards, then then do we have a responsibility to to ensure that they they never have the chance to pass on their genetics? Well, I mean, I think the responsible thing to do would be that do that. I mean, I think our our shelter problem with the overrunning of dogs in the shelter would be a lot less and you wouldn't see people dropping these hounds and stuff on these back roads. You know, when you find a hound and it don't have a collar on it, there's a reason why. I mean, it's not suiting whoever it was. And I think it eliminates that problem. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's totally irresponsible. I'll just denounce that practice right now. Yep. You know, this, that used to be pretty common and I, that was real common 30 or 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, luckily people have gotten more responsible they understand the that that that's not a good look for houndsmen and and i i i don't see a lot of that anymore it used to be a pretty big issue but you know i'm just i'm talking like instead of instead of selling the dog intact um you know do you have a responsibility to go ahead and and say hey i've got a i've got a neutered neutered male here i've got a spade female here she's gonna make somebody a great pleasure dog so you know somebody come and get her i'll take 400 bucks for if you want if some kid if some old man wants her here you know somebody just wants a pleasure dog that's what i'm talking about being responsible in that aspect Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think we can all do better i mean Mm -hmm. you know I, i think that's that would definitely help the hound community um put a good it would put a better light on us yeah if if, if all of us practice that mm-hmm. you know so. the funny funny thing is shorty gorm mm-hmm. you know shorty shorty's neuters almost all his males <laughs> i mean even if he's keeping them he neuters them he's like why not you know we the horse industry and the cattle industry has been doing it for hundreds of years why do we feel like we need to keep them intact Mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah but you know i've had some friends that and in fact an older gentleman he bred a female that went back to my ring dog uh, it was a granddaughter ring she produced a really good litter of puppies and he went and had her spayed and now he's kicking himself in the butt and i'm yep. like uh, like why did you do that like why yep. well at the time i didn't think i wanted any more pups i didn't want to fool with them and i'm like you know so yeah i mean I guess it's give and take. Um, yeah. But I guess back to the question, um, you know, when I think it's a personal preference, you know, me, what I see in it. Go ahead. I was just going to wrap this. Well, before we get to what, what age, let's finish the part about, you know, what method we use to call. And mm-hmm. I think, I think there's ways you can call them from your pack, move them to the deer mm-hmm. hunter. You can mm-hmm. spare neuter, remove them from the gene pool. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, last is the hard call euthanization, mm-hmm. and and I used to I, I I've changed the way I I think about this anymore. Um, the only dogs that get the hard call are dogs that uh, have s- severe defects that aren't going to be fixed. You know, you get a dog that's mean. I mean, it's just it's just nasty, mean. Uh, if it's, if it cannot figure out, I feel, I feel like at this point in my life, in my, with hounds, 
that if I can't train that out of them, you know, if you see a shy dogs, a lot of times you can bring that, you know, you can bring them out of that. If you, if you've got one that's aggressive, we did a podcast on the aggressive tree dog, you know, and, and talked about that and, and some of the reasons why a dog is, and if you can't, if you can't bring them out of that, you know, I, I changed the way I felt about, you know, mean tree dogs are always going to be mean tree dogs. Uh, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes there's environmental things, but, but when it comes to genetic things that you just, you know, cannot be fixed. I told you the story about, um, that puppy I had that its skull never closed up, you know, it, it had a soft spot in the top of its head. And, uh, that was a euthanization hard call. So yeah. I, I reserved that for, for like, this is going to be the best thing for this particular animal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the word call is used loosely because if, you know, if you look at the definition, you know, it is a hard call mm-hmm. and it says it right there. So, yeah, I mean, I, most of the time it's just not something that, that suits me and I move it. I mean, I put, I have put a couple hounds in people that, um, with people that just wanted a dog around the farm, mm-hmm. you know, I've done it several times. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, I guess hopefully that deter- that that makes a, a difference on what we're talking about and how we're talking about it. Yeah. So let's look at the, he had two part question here and what age mm-hmm. do you determine that? That's a good one. Well, again, I think that means for me, it's a personal preference. Like, um, I pretty much by a year old, I kind of know if I'm going to keep the dog or not. But again, I get to see a lot of dogs in my work environment and I can pick up on things that I see and I do the same thing in the hound world. There may be a dog that I have that is showing me one or two little things that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give that dog, I'm going to give that dog 16, 18, 20 months old. I may give him to two years mm-hmm. um, if I see certain things. And then, you know, there's certain dogs that, you know, <laughs> six or eight months old. I'm like, no, this is not for me. Me so too. I, it's all personal preference. Um, and I think if you're realistic with yourself, that's the first thing, you know, um, what are you looking for? What's your expectations? So on and so forth. Uh, I look at it, it, it. You can't put a hard age on it. You know, there's no way you can. Yeah. You, you, uh, you know, you look at some of the greatest athletes were late bloomers. You know, mm-hmm. um, right. Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. Yep. You know, and, and so you got that going on. Um, and it's the same way with, with these hound pups. And, um, you know, if you, if you, if you've ever worked with a master carpenter and, uh, you do something and you build it and, and, uh, you know, he stands there and he looks at it and he's like, well, that's not square. And he never put a square on it cause he's got the eye for it. He knows yeah. that mm-hmm. that's not going to work out. It's the same way with our development as houndsmen. You know, you got this puppy and all of a sudden you're, you're watching him and, and man, when he walks by, you're, you're, maybe you're feeding on the ground, you know, and scattering food out in the grass and he's laying 50 yards away and you see him raise that head and put that nose in the air 
And before you know it, he's up and he's waddling over there towards where the food's at and he's looking for it. You know, that's something I want to see. He may not start treeing his own coon or his own bear until he's 14 <clears throat> months old, but he's got that. He's got drive. He's got these other things. There's just something that you see about those pups that you that makes you want to want to stay with them. But I'm like you, man. Mm-hmm. If I'm not seeing anything by six to eight months old, it's just like I know in my gut that it's like, me and this pup aren't going to get along. I can already yeah. tell. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, like I said, you know, I've said it on other podcasts, you know, back when I first started hunting, I kept dogs forever because I couldn't afford them. You know, it was, it, it it's what I had and I hunted them and you couldn't afford had, to go find new ones. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just yeah. couldn't. And you know, I, I, I kept dogs that now I would have, I would have let them go. I would have called yeah. them from my place and they wouldn't have been at my place. <laughs> and a couple of those dogs made really, my, I had a dog named Smokey and I, I mean, I could tell you some stories about him and I mean, I'd fit to be tied with him at 16 months old and I kept him around. I don't know why I kept him. I mean, I don't cause I wanted to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And the last day of training season, the last day, of training season it's like somebody flipped a switch in his head the light bulb went on and he's like oh and he made one of one of my really nice nice hounds but yeah i would never i would have never kept that dog because he showed me nothing nothing Mm -hmm. wouldn't go with the dogs wouldn't run i mean wouldn't do nothing so yeah it's, it's personal preference and i think you know if you pick a couple things out that you like about the pup then you're more likely to keep them a little longer and give them a little bit more chance. And one of the things that I, um, and I've said it on my podcast, on the pod, on the journey, you know, you've got to give the dogs um, a fair opportunity. And if you're not giving yeah. them a fair shake, then it's not fair to them. Um, right. And I'm guilty. Like I've been guilty of this. Um, so, you know, if the dogs are doing what you see, um, you know, that's their responsibility to, to try to give them every opportunity to learn and to grow um, and to morph into what what dog they should be and what we want. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So hopefully yeah, that think, answers I, your question on my end. Yeah, good. Yeah, Kurt, thanks for that question, man. It's a it's a tough one to, you know, you got to tiptoe these days. You got to be careful, you know, um, about how you answer questions. And but I think it starts with understanding that there are more methods to meet the objective of what we're really trying to achieve here than just using a one term fits all type thing. You know, there Mm -hmm. are other ways to accomplish your goals and, um, you just can't put a hard age on it. You know, I I personally, um, once I get down on a pup, then I know that most of the time it's best for me to, to move on from that pup because I'll probably never give it, give it the attention or the chance that it needs. I like seeing, they don't need to be young superstars, but man, they got to be, they got to show me those moments of greatness when they're, mm-hmm. when they're small that I know are going to come out down the road. So yeah. All right. This is the last one we're going to cover. And this is right up your alley. Jacob Morgan asks, what is the ideal number of dogs to have on a big, old, mean, bait up bear? Zero. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I, 
Well, I, I think, you know, the first question you answer is what part of the country are you in? Because like we've talked about here recently, you know, it's a lot different in the mountains where I'm at from the coast where you can't see your hand in front of your face. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally like about four dogs, four or five, you know, six. Once you start getting dogs when they can't get out of the way and they get, you know, you got dogs pushing. And if you got a, you know, a really, you know, an overly aggressive dog that's wanting to get in there and bite and cause problems. Well, you shouldn't say cause problems, but for me, yeah. Then you start getting the more dogs, you're just going to get them, get them tore up because mm-hmm. all of them can't get out of the way. Somebody's going to get run over. Right. Somebody's going to get caught up in the, in the chaos. That's like, Oh crap. I'm just trying to get out of the way here. And now right. next thing I know, I'm getting slung around. So, um, the more is not the merrier for me. Um, like I said, I mean, two bear that's going to walk and bay is plenty. I mean, it's plenty. One dog that's going to walk and bay and stay um, is less vet bills. But, you know, my my perfect number is, you know, four to six is kind of where I'm at. I'm going re- to refer to Willis Butall. He was a government hunter and trapper mm-hmm. from Nevada. I think it was, he was either Utah or Nevada. And Willis has a famous statement. If you can't catch a bear with four dogs, you don't need more dogs. You need better dogs. You need better dogs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And because when you start packing, especially down your country, you know, in that thick laurel and different things, if a dog needs to be juking and jiving and he can't get out of the way, man, that's a recipe for disaster. And, Mm -hmm. and if, if, very rarely have I ever seen, you know, uh, a deal where dumping more dogs, dumping more dogs just makes a bigger wreck a lot of times. Cause mm-hmm. if they won't tree with four dogs that, you know, have put a lot of bear up or two dogs that have put a lot of bear up dumping 30 on them, isn't going to make them climb. They just, mm-hmm. they don't. No, no, I, I agree hundred percent. I think that's, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm good with a couple to, you know, one to six and then like i said i think every time you start dumping one or two more dogs that's just one more one or two more chances of somebody getting hurt yeah Um, and it's usually not the it's usually not the cheerleader that's getting hurt it's the one that's standing back that that doesn't need to be there anyway that is is getting your real superstar hurt that's mm -hmm. what i've seen yeah no that's 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 a fact for sure so i think that's a pretty easy question is you know and I, like I said, I, I see a lot of guys posting on Instagram and Facebook. Um, you know, it kind of looks like the average for people's eight to 10. It looks like what I see in the most of, um, on a lot of these pictures, but yeah, for me, I mean, if I've mm-hmm. got four of my dogs there, I'm good. I don't, I don't need any more there. They going to do it or not going to do it. And yeah, like I said, chances of them getting hurt are a lot less, um, for sure. Yeah, just be, just because it's yeah, it's like being in a crowded bar and getting in a fist fight. You know, mm. if you're a bystander, there's a real if if you can't get out of the way, there's a good chance you're going to get hurt. You know, get yeah, you're going to get a bottle over the head too, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I didn't yeah, ask for so. that. I'm just here. <laughs> I'm just here for the fun. Yeah. Now I get a big old gash across my forehead. Right, right. Well, hey, uh, that's going to do it for this this. Uh, month's questions for ama i i appreciate everybody that asks questions and engaging on these things 
Seriously, I mean, you guys can ask us anything. We'll, we're not too proud to answer questions. We like to have fun and joke around. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you. AMA, ask me anything Friday. Y'all need to send it up yep. when Chris posts it. Like I said, we'll uh, we'll do our best to give some type of answer, right, wrong, or regardless. Yeah, and we try to go out and find people that um, have got got a lot of experience to to help us answer some of these when they're when they're we realize they're out of our wheelhouse. I'm not afraid to go looking for somebody that can help us answer it. So you can find uh, you can find guys need to go to if you haven't done so already, go to our website, check that thing out. We put a lot of work into that. It's and nice. uh, you can you can shop on our shop and and you can find cool graphic stuff that like when you go to when you go to our website at houndsmanxp.com you can join us on patreon and when you join us on patreon at the 12 dollar level you're going to get a sportsman's alliance membership we're going to go ahead and pay that for you we're trying to make this a really good value for that so you can support us that way um you can support us by shopping for our merchandise. We've got a cool hound mountain lion logo that just went up, and that thing is blowing up, man. People are buying that thing left and right. The the old steak and shake cup from Lauren's Adventure. That's up there. That's up there. You can buy that as a decal. You can buy it on a tumbler. Check it out, man. It's a cool. It's a cool thing. And uh, Outer Agenda is a, is is supplying us with all these cool graphics. So check out Outer Agenda over on Instagram too. It's uh, uh, easy to find, but Derek Derek Tormanen is doing a great job on on our graphics for us. And and if you got a kennel or something like that, and you're looking for a logo or or artwork or something, then then hit him up. So Heath, you got anything else, man? Nope. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'll be I out appreciate training you. dogs again all day tomorrow. So all right. Yep. Well, you take care, and I'll be talking to you soon. And, uh, guys, we're going to sign off. So make sure you're looking for the AMA post next month and post those questions. And the most um, likes that we get on those questions are the ones we read. So until next time, Heath, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine.